All right, guys, Cody here with the first episode of the Off the X podcast. Uh, tonight's guest, I have uh, former Diplomat Security Special Agent John Fluker. John served at the New York Field Office, Mobile Security Deployments, the U.S. Embassy in Islamabad, Pakistan, the Office of Professional Responsibility, the Houston Field Office, U.S. Embassy Lima, Peru, and ended up in Washington, D.C., where he ended his service with DS in the International Programs Office. So John's a great guy. I've known him for about 10 years. He uh, has some great stories. He talked about his response to the Marriott bombings in Islamabad, Pakistan, when he was only two days in country. He talked about his time protecting Ambassador J. Christopher Stevens, who... Uh, you all may know from the attack on Benghazi. So, good information, great intel for any of you aspiring DS agents, or some people who just want to hear a good story. It is the first podcast, you know, uh, we had some technical audio issues, but we worked through them, and if you're looking for knowledge and information about diplomatic security, uh, this is a fantastic start. So, I don't plan on only having DS agents on. I do plan on having uh, security contractors, WIP security contractors, Marine security guards, FAST team, any military that worked out of embassy supported DS mission or had interactions with DS, possibly some other feds that have interactions with DS, diplomats uh, obviously have a ton of interaction with diplomatic security when we're overseas. Um, and so I plan on just having people tell stories, anecdotal stories for those of you that are interested and obviously informational, uh, you know, stories that can provide knowledge for those of you pursuing the career. So, as I said, first shot, hope you enjoy, and uh, I'll chat with you at the end. Thanks, y'all. Out. Let me just get to my questions here, but, but basically, John, uh, when, when did you first join DS? I joined DS in, what was it, October 2003. Oh, three? Yeah, so I was in um 78. There were two of us, 78 and 79, that were in a combined um, class. Um, so we went through Flutty first, and then they followed, and then we all ended up kind of joined together at the hip in BSAC for basic was that a two class of 24 is that how they were doing it back yeah then? yeah class of 24 and i think back yeah there were 50 of us in total and it started at the same time so we did um bzac 78 we went through first um we started fsi together and then they lagged behind and we went through flutzy and then we went through basic um back at the um dstc and then B seventy nine trail behind us. So they were just about later with three weeks behind us. Behind us, I believe. Yeah. I still went to what we did. We were we were all called one hundred two, but we did uh, 24, 24 went to Fletzy like a week or two ahead, and then we followed. Okay. We we're still in the same class. What uh, I got a lot of people asking. Uh, you know, I'm doing these videos and and uh, on YouTube and and a couple different things just to promote the book and. Uh, a lot of people are asking about, do you have to have military or law enforcement experience? And uh, I tell them no. But what did you do before DS? 
I was a Medicare fraud investigator based out of working out of Dallas. Okay. So within my role, I covered Texas, Oklahoma, and New Mexico, but I had no prior government experience. You know, I just was one of those guys who kind of came up through the private sector, went to college, worked in the private sector, and turned away by many law enforcement agencies, um, like, you know, like a lot of us who try, and, and DS came a call, and then, uh, I think it was Kismet when it happened. Yeah. You get on the first try? I did, um, which was not what, you know, the usual story. Usually guys say it took two to three times and sometimes more to get on. And I was just fortunate. I, the funny thing is I was working as a Medicare fraud investigator out of Dallas. And one day we had lunch with this health and human services um, investigator. And she was talking about her past experience with DS. And I'm like, what the heck is that? I had no clue what this agency was. And that night I went um, home and on Nightline, Mike Evanoff was at U.S. Embassy Pakistan and they were doing, they were training with the Marines and I was like, oh wow, this is really cool. The very next day they were hired and I applied and eight months later I had a job. Yeah, that's pretty quick, eight months. Yeah. Yeah, some people, I, I mean... I guess I say that it took me three tries to get on, yeah. and then uh, you know one of the regular shit bags and finally made made my way through. But uh, took it was but they were pushing people through, and I got it on nine months. But I had I'd previously had a TS uh, TS clearance, so that might have that might have helped me. But um, yeah, so you you went through BSAC, uh, you said two thousand three, yeah, and then uh, what was your first assignment? New York City. Uh, man, I did not want to go. You didn't uh, want to go to New York City? No. No, I want to go back home to Houston. I'm a Texas boy and we grew up in Houston and I'm like, God, I want to go back. And I was seeing a few people in my academy that were going to Houston and I was jealous. And one of the reasons I grew up there was one, but two, they were getting a higher cost of living allowance than yeah. we get in New York City. So my CDO, Tom Haycraft, remember I went to him because we had a gal that washed out of our uh, BSAC. She was going to Houston. I was like, well, can I take her spot? And Tom was just fighting me. He said, look, I didn't want to go to New York my first tour either. And I went and it was great. And so I left it alone. I went to New York and it was hands down probably one of my better tours um, that I had with DS. The first was, I would say it was probably the best. And it was mostly the camaraderie, you know, the, just everyone got along. Um, you know, it was, it was New York City. You're big and bright-eyed going into that city. And just kind of, you know, if you embrace the city, the city embraced you. So we had fun running across all five boroughs, just, you know, working cases, doing protection, uh, jumping on every TDY I could. Um, so yeah, it was exciting. It was a great tour. So that was my first. Any cases or any protection details you did that stood out? You know, let me think. We we worked a lot of cases in New York. We we did a lot of marriage fraud stuff, and I and I, I want to say the funniest one that stood out was um, 
we had this, we'd been working this marriage fraud case for years and they had kind of, you know, trickled over from other agents who had left, left the office. And one day on the, we, the strike team was located out of Barrick street and, and downtown Manhattan. And one day someone, a walk-in walked in and it broke the case open. So we had Puerto Ricans marrying Chinese nationals and, or China, you know, Chinese nationals and so that they can get you know, US citizen, citizenship. And so we, we had this case that we're gonna work and we're gonna serve warrants on this lawyer's office um, in Chinatown. And I had a girlfriend back in the day that worked for UPS and we knew that you couldn't go into Chinatown because as soon as you went in, they knew cops were there and everyone knew. So she got her company to loan us uniforms from UPS and a UPS truck. And we went in, one guy, I remember Hunter goes in as a delivery guy and we're all sitting in the back of the truck waiting. And he goes in and then one goes in and no one suspected it. And we hit this, we hit this lawyer's office and it was great. You know, it went down seamless. Um, we didn't have people racing away. As I've seen, like you may have seen in Houston with the New York and some cases. Um, but that was probably the most memorable, memorable case in New York City. Um, but then we got a lot of protection. So you know, we were mixed back in us. You know, we did protection, we did cases. Uh, it was a great time. Yeah, that's what I hear. You know, I tell, I tell uh, some of these people that I ask you, what, what would you recommend? And I, I, I always recommend NIFO and I, and I don't recommend WIFO. Uh, but I tell them that I don't have, I don't have an experience in either. Uh, but you know, everyone that comes out of NIFO loves NIFO. And sometimes yeah. you have a story similar to yours that, Hey man, I didn't really want to go. And then you come yeah. out there and say, it's the best tour, the best tour they've, they've done. That's a pretty cool one though. Uh, a little bit under undercover kind of work. Yeah, that was fun. Did you say something about a strike team? Yeah, so we had um, the strike, strike team functionality over at um, the Passport Agency in, um, in downtown lower Manhattan. And the, the purpose was to kind of just be responsive to walk-ins that came to the Passport Agency and bring them down, interview them, um, and we got cases out of it. And oddly enough, I, should, I said the, the Chinatown story was my best one. I'll tell you what the best one was. I got to interview Grace Jones. Who's Grace Jones? You know, the actress, the big, tall, Jamaican African actress, Grace Jones. Uh, I'd have to look her up. But you got to interview her for... Yeah, I got to interview her. And it was weird because she's not the, you know, little striking woman. Um, she's tall, very statuesque, um, but strong, very strong features. And she was always in her character in the movie. She was always this strong, um, you know, strict-looking you know, feature this, you know, statue of woman. And so I'm sitting across the table interviewing her and, and it was really because her birthday was off. Her birth year was off. So they didn't think she was who she said she was. And I'm like, that's Grace Jones. How could you not know it's Grace, not Grace Jones? But it was funny just, and I don't remember who was working in tandem with me then because um, I was just so starstruck. Um, but it was an easy kind of case to kind of clear up. So we were there just, as to respond to things like, you know, things that came up, someone, you know, stealing someone's identity and trying to get a passport. Yeah. Um, 
and got some cases out of it. That's where the walk-in from the China town case came from. Right. That's where uh, that big case in Houston that I worked that you were part of, we'll talk about a little bit, but it came from the passport agency. Yeah. Those seem to be uh, wrought with those types of cases. Yeah. Um, no, I don't know Grace Jones, but I and uh, whoever uh, listens to this will probably go Google her <laughs> after. I'd do it now, but uh, you know I don't want to make too much noise. Uh, so what about some notable uh, folks you protected? As a, as a DS agent, you know, I've on my YouTube videos, I'm talking about we protect visiting foreign dignitaries at the cabinet level. But what are some uh, experiences you had? Yeah, so I mean, you can't see my office here, but I have a wall, kind of my wall of shame. Um, but I think the most, God, the the most important person in my life that I protected on the job was Nelson Mandela. Oh, that's cool. So we had him for two weeks, and um, just. Just seeing this iconic, you know, this iconic man who, you know, survived 27 years in prison um, and then became the president of, of South Africa was, you know, incredible to just protect him and um, just hold, be, be a part of that, that history. Yeah. And, and then everyone does, you know, when you get to Dalai Lama, everyone takes a picture with the Dalai Lama. He won't let you leave without taking a picture with him and shaking your hand. So the Dolly was probably the other one. And then I think the most, so those two are iconic, but the most memorable one for me would be, you know, Ambassador Stevens in Libya. Um, you know, and the most, Say that again. You know, the most memorable one for me would be Ambassador Stevens and, okay. and Benghazi. Yeah. Um, knowing that I, I you know, I protected this man every day, slept down the hall from this man. Um, we had a plan and then to hear what happened in 2012, just, you know, a year after I left was just um, something that took me back because um, I knew what an incredible man he was and what a friend he was to Libya um, and did great work for our country and for the resolve and peace in that country. And, so Ambassador Stevens, John Stevens was probably the most memorable person I had. Well, and, but that was, was that at your, at your nightfall office or was that? Uh, just no, that's actually Houston. So I'm sorry. I, I, I kind of oh, jumped right. it. So yeah. So, that's all right. I want to get to that. That's, uh, yeah. that's, that's something that uh, we'll definitely want to hear. Um, let's go to MSD. You're, so you left NIFO, you went to MSD. Yeah. I have a ton of interest of people asking about MSD. You tell us a little bit about uh, training selection process. Uh, you know, then, then, then I try to describe the, the three different elements, the MTTs, and then, yeah. you know, the other two, you know, uh, but, but you can certainly do it better than I can. But yeah, if you could start maybe with the training uh, and selection yeah. process and take us through it. Well, you know, the funny thing about DS is, you know, and even going to an important functionality like MSD, um, is there's no, there's no selection. Um, you bid on an, assi an assignment and it doesn't matter your, your size, strength, capability. It's, you get selected and you go through the process. Um, you have to make it through training. Um, so when I went in, I knew for me, training, leaving New York, knowing that I'm going to this 
what I, you know, thought on like there's this high speed, you know, counter assault team. Um, and every aspect they, they, they are exactly that. Um, and then going into training, I was physically fit. I was ready. I was running. I was lifting. I was getting mentally prepared. And I always heard what Tony Mothness used to say is, you know, you have to be mentally prepared. And he was always talking about mental awareness and mental strength. Um, and he was part of our training, uh, cadre there in, for MSD. And um, so we went through uh, seven months of training, hard skills, um, it was, it was pretty intense. You're, you're, you're going nonstop. It's all day. It's, you're going away for a week or three weeks, um, training all over, all over the place. Um, we even went through, um, this training called Dieter training and it was almost like going to, to a cult and because <laughs> people who drink the Kool-Aid for Dieter, they really believed in kind of this fighting skills and, um, high gun, low gun tactics that they were teaching. And I think the most memorable part of that training was the box drills that we did. Um, and you're in this room, they put that hood over your head and you're in this box and they, when they pull it out away from over your head, there's a, a presence in front of you or three people in front of you and you got to fight and deal with that, with those situations. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, really memorable the weapons training was great um you know going through rudimentary tactics you're you're training at a higher level you're you're training with you know the military you know special forces seals you're training with all the high kind of just the the guys that are that get all the the credit for within our military the heavy hitters um uh the training was phenomenal. Um, I couldn't, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I thought I learned a lot. I grew as an agent. Um, I became more confident as an agent going through the MSD training. And, you know, we thought, oh, man, maybe we should just train all our agents like this and see how, how they come out, you know, but you're training to be a warrior. You're training like the military training. Um, you know, in law enforcement, you know, we train with that controlled aggressive action. In the military, it's violence of action, and we were certainly going towards violence of action because they knew kind of the places that we could go and where we'd end up. We didn't have the military backing us up. It was us. It was our six-man team or five-man team. Um, however that team was composed, um, you know, that's what we trained for. We trained for small unit tactics. Um, so sensational training, and I think it's only getting better. So I... MSD was a fantastic assignment. Yeah. I've always, uh, I, I, I do mention uh, quote unquote selection process that there is none. And uh, I was told right before I left that one of the guys that came in kind of made it a little harder to get in, but you know, knowing DS and how they assign people and they don't want to, uh, or the state department in general and don't want to, you know, uh, kind of cause any ripples. Right. I don't see that happening. You know, you get in, you finish the training and you're, you're good to go. What I do say is that, because I've, you know, I interned with MSD uh, back in 2005, which means you probably would have been on it at the time. You might've been on it. Yeah. Right. No, no, I got on in 2000. I got out of um, training in 2006. Okay. So I missed you by a year. 
Yeah. Yeah. After the Marine Corps, while I was going to school, I got an internship with MSD. It was great. I got to hang with those guys. I got to be op four with them. Yeah. Uh, and then of course yeah. I had friends that were MSD, uh, you being one of them and, and have heard the stories. And one of the things I always mention is you guys get a ton of great training, but a lot of times it, it seems like the state department ties your hands. Like you're trained to do all these different, uh, I, at one point you're always trained to do hostage rescue. And I, I know states yeah. really won't allow that or haven't allowed, haven't allowed that. Um, no, that's a shame. You know, it, it's good and bad. I guess if there's no selection process, you, you is, there's 10% of ship bags everywhere, right? And I imagine uh-huh. you have MSD, we had them in DS, the Marines, you know. Um, but what type of, uh, can you explain the three, I think it's three, right? The three rotations, yeah. the three types of assignments you guys have? Yeah, so the, the training piece, so you have, the, you have the, the training piece, the security support, and then you have the kind of the, the t- tactical support piece. So the TSP or the tactical support was really just a, So go ahead again on the tact- on the tactical support piece. The, the three. So yeah, it was just a a counter assault team that were, that was responsive to kind of a high high threat details that were um, running through the U.S. Um, so anytime we had whether it was the Palestinians, Israelis, um, Iran, um, any of the major critical threat countries that came to the U.S., we were designed to kind of be there to support those that detail. Um, then you had the training piece, um, which we did a lot of, um, largely abroad, training the embassy environments, um, our MSGs, training them in such things like bounding overwatch, room entry tactics, defensive tactics, um, just room entry training. Um, and then you had the, the support piece, the security support piece, which was embassies in crisis, responding to those embassies that were under terror attack or uh, threat of terror attack or in the middle of a war zone. And, you know, for instance, we, in, in, we responded to Chad to help kind of evacuate the embassy out of Chad in the midst of the war that was happening there. I believe it was 2007, eight timeframe. Um, so my team went in with another team to kind of uh, support that. Um, we responded to Pakistan during, um, the Marine security got called. In fact, we got some threats that were coming in. So we responded as a tactical security support team, you know, and we provided overwatch and while everyone else had fun, we were, we were there waiting for something to happen. So those are the three different areas. Um, You see a lot of training, more training than you do support, just feast your family. So our director over at MSD always said, and guys complain about not traveling, not having trips. He said, be careful what you wish for. It's feast your famine. And when it was feasting, man, you were nonstop. You were gone all the time. I don't think in my time there, I would say I was probably on the road 11 months out of the year. 11 months. Yeah. How long are your rotations supposed to be at each post? Is it, I've heard every three months, uh, obviously if you said feast your famine, you might be gone for a long time, but yeah. So we were doing 45 day rotations um, and then we moved to 60 days on, 60 off. And there was never 60 on or never 60 off because we were short on teams. So MSD was composed of what's supposed to be a hundred agents um, on 10 different teams. 
And we ended up with about 50 agents. And so we were on the road all the time. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's a long time to rotate guys who train. So if you got seven months of just hard skills training, um, if you have guys rotating out, which is routine, you know, because of, you know, the way we, the state department was run, it was routine that you would kind of, you'd be down, you know, big time on manpower. Is MSD a, uh, it's longer than a three-year assignment, right? Don't they do a little longer because of the training? No. It's a, it's a three-year assignment even with training. So we were actually pushing for them to do 50% of MSD um, to be permanent, full-time, kind of 18 and 11 SWAT guys or 1801 um, so that you can keep that continuity. Um, you can, you know, and then we, we realized it would be a riff, right? You have those guys who just are seasoned who have been there a while and you have the guys that are rotating there. But in order to maintain continuity, you need a consistent level of manpower, which is why you see a lot of guys, they usually go away for a year. They'll go to Iraq or Pakistan for a year and they'll go back. Uh, those guys love it. You know, for me, carrying all that gear around, you know, I mean, you could have 80 pounds of gear, you know, your, your, your vest, you're fully, fully stocked on your vest. You got to go back. Um, you got your helmet. Um, the weight alone just destroys your back. Um, so when I left, I mean, it was, you know, I, I enjoyed it. It was probably, you know, my next best assignment outside of New York. And, um, but the weight and my back was killing me afterwards. Yeah, bet. What, uh, after MSD, you went to Pakistan. Was that Islamabad? Yes. What, uh, how'd that go? Islamabad was great. It was a great assignment. It was like my, my second day in Islamabad. My welcome to Pakistan was the Marriott bombing. So I'm sitting at the embassy and I'm like literally there having dinner at the American club with the RSO, the WRSO, and a couple other agents. And we felt, you know, the building kind of shake. And we were about two miles away from, from Marriott. And all of a sudden the phone start ring, started ringing. And we heard the Marriott Hotel has just been blown up. And we all ran down to the embassy and I got a battle rattle on. Um, started, you know, we started looking at a phone tree and the way, you know, doing a phone tree back then was just kind of like, you got to call people uh, to check on people. And now you're looking at the way things are done. Now the way I do things in, in private sector, I'm like, man, that was so just antiquated. And Technology has been. improved since then. Absolutely, right? And um, so we went and myself, um, another agent took our two FSNIs and we just went into ground zero. And I remember rolling into, into that area and it was probably hands down, it was the worst tragedy I'd ever seen. I had just come from Houston after Katrina. So I had lived through, you know, the hurricane that kind of knocked power out for three weeks and left the pregnant wife back home to go to Pakistan and end up in this tragedy that was absolutely incredible. And the trees had no leaves on it, windows were blown out and the blast seat um, from that bomb, you could fit a small house inside the blast seat. 
And you see the Marriott Hotel just completely engulfed in flames. And seeing that I had just left MSD, I had two guys that were, we were doing rotations out of Peshawar. Um, so there was a lot of threat going on down in Peshawar. Um, we had two guys that were coming up that were on MSD. They were supposed to come up and they were staying in that hotel. And just by chance, they, they, something happened in Peshawar where they changed their plans to come like the next day. And I remember going through that, around that building and I, I'm like, crap, man. If I go in, if, if those guys would have been there, I would have gone in. But to go in there would have been, you're not walking out. That's how bad the fire was. And then I started thinking everything I learned about explosives and terrorist attacks and, and, and secondaries. I'm like, wait a minute, there, was, there wasn't a secondary. Yep. So I said, let's get the heck out of here because we don't know. They're just waiting for the crowds to gather and there were people all around. So we sent a message back to the embassy. Um, we set up a rally point um, about a mile away and they sent out that, that message over them in the phone tree to kind of let everyone know if you're, if you're hurt or if you kind of need, you know, to kind of, you know, feel safe and come here, we're going to be here. We're going to be securing people, um, taking them back to the embassy. Um, after a while, we, no one showed up there. So we ended up going to the hospital because we heard the Americans that were, that were there. And yeah, that, sure enough, there were, you know, you know, we had some Americans that died and some DOD folks that passed away. Um, and some other folks um, that were in the hospital that were pretty badly um, worked over by the bomb. And so it, that was that was my welcome to Pakistan. But the whole year was just one event after another. It was one terror attack after another, whether it was on our route, you know, to the embassy. Um, we had our embassy, we had our, um, the front two constabulary was attacked um, and a lot of the rounds hit you know, the back of our houses and where we had Americans, um, they weren't coming after us. Um, and then we had um, um, an attack, an explosion of the World Food Bank that was like two blocks from my house. So Pakistan was a, it was a great tour. It was interesting. Um, I, you know, there, there's a version of CIA, ISI. They were, they were nonstop friends of ours. They were always on us. I always knew, I always said that if something happened, I may just ask ISI because they were probably in on it or they saw who did it because they were always outside my house. Yeah, ISI is playing that relationship between, uh, well, themselves, Afghanistan, Taliban, and the U.S. for many years. I think, I think it's probably yeah. still. There's a lot of uh, literature out there on that. Hey, so the Marriott, though, was that inside, and I might get the terminology wrong, but didn't didn't uh, Islamabad have kind of like a uh, diplomatic zone or international zone? And was the Marriott inside of that? Yeah, so there was a diplomatic enclave, but the Marriott was outside of that. Um, but would you but say that was... American state there. That's what I was going to get at. It's, it's usually these Western hotels is where we end up housing people because they are Western yeah. hotels and we build relationships with them. Yeah. And there was no, the Marriott was probably the worst one because there was no setback. Um, yeah. Very little setback, which is why that truck was able to get so close. Um, the Pearl, which was the other one we like to put people at, um, and that one was, had a lot of setback. It was a lot more secure. It was up on a hill. Um, and we tried to limit people from staying in the Marriott even before then. Um, 
And, uh, and let me revert back kind of oddly enough, when I was on MSD, we were in Pakistan um, doing that, that support, that security support mission. And we stayed at the Marriott. We picked up surveillance while we were there. We stayed at a guest house initially. We picked up surveillance. I remember telling Marcel, um, he's like, oh, you guys are here training and, and you're dealing with this. And um, so it's not surveillance. He was like, oh, we picked up surveillance. And we moved to the Marriott from the guest house. And should you not, you know, a week after we moved out of the Marriott or left, Suicide Bomber walked into this club in the bottom of the hotel that didn't serve alcohol, so no American and blew up that that club. So, and, and they should have done better, you know, better intelligence, but they should have known it. No alcohol, Americans are. Yeah. yeah no right. girls, we're not going to be there either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, how was, how, well, first of all, did you make it down to Pesh or to Lahore or any of yeah. these, these other uh, locations? Yeah, yeah, I did Peshawar. Um, always a scary place. Just a freaky, freaky place where you had to keep your head on a swivel there um, because they were true. Somebody was trying to kill you. And it was like a, a location where time like really stood still, you know, and they hadn't advanced at all. You know, nowhere near the government city of Islamabad. Um, Lahore was a little bit different. Um, more sophisticated, but still, nevertheless, you still kind of he didn't feel safe um, driving around there. And, you know, so a year, a year of being in Pakistan, I thought I was going to make it out, out like safely and not, you know, run into any major. I mean, as if the Marriott was major and other terror attacks were major, but without kind of drama and um, controversy. So, but I didn't. I made it out with controversy and, I thought, knew that ISI was going to snatch me up. So I had this, and I was—I found this article that was written about me, and I was called RSO John in this article. Um, and a friend of mine, an Air Force gal, sent it to me. She's like, John, look, you're in the papers. So before, about a month before I rotated out of that assignment, I ended up jamming up a Pakistani station house police chief that blew our checkpoint. And I guess we would blow our checkpoint every morning and intimidate our guards mm-hmm. and they would let them through. And he, his wife worked for the British High Commission there. And we had a traffic jam, like no other traffic jam I'd ever seen. And I was on my way into the embassy and the guards weren't the smartest. You know, I think they were making like 37 cents an hour. So you get what you pay for. And so I decided to get out of my, you know, my truck to help clear up this traffic jam. And here comes this station house chief, you know, Going, you know, with on the other lane and just like blowing traffic, it's like the hell with everyone. I'm just He's going counterflow. Yeah. So he looks at. I stop him. I said, "What are you doing?" He said, "I don't work for the U.S. Embassy. I don't have to be here." I said, "Well, you shouldn't be in our checkpoint. Why? Are you, how did you get here?" And he's screaming at me, and and suddenly, I said, "This guy." I I said, "Well, I said, hold on. I'll let you through, but you shouldn't be in our checkpoint." Suddenly, he just grabbed my arm, like snatched my arm in his car. So I grabbed his arm and his wrist and put him in a wrist lock and twisted his arm back to his face. And, and as he started screaming, I said, if you fucking try that again, we're going to have a problem. So 
I said, calm your ass down and, you know, I'll let you through. So I go to let him through. I had the guard lift the drop arm up and this dude just floors it, tries to run me over. And the guard dropped the drop arm and he stopped. It's like, I went up to his car and I said, <laughs> I said, I was being nice before. I said, you try that shit again, I'll fucking shoot you. And I said, now calm down and I'll let you through. So we let the drop arm up and let him through. And this story came in the paper. I was in for 30 days. I was RSO John and who the Americans think they are. Mm-hmm. And they never got the real story. But the day before I left, the ambassador called me into her office. And she's like, John, it was a great tour. And, and thank you for your service. And I remember she said, but I'm glad you're leaving. I was like, it's like, why? So you tell me you you give me accolades and you say, you know, you're glad I'm leaving. She's like, well, no, Pasha, the, I guess the head of the, not Pasha, but the head of the National Assembly um, wanted you to come testify. She's like, yeah, that's not happening. So the whole time I'm in the, my, my driver picks me up at two in the morning to take me to the airport. I'm sitting in the airport, dude, and I'm like, on the way there, I'm terrified. I said, they're going to snatch me up. I know they are. At the airport, I'm going through security. They're going to snatch me. I'm waiting for them. And by the time, I didn't like calm down until I got to Dubai. When I got to Dubai, I was like, I was landing on American soil. Yeah. And I like wanted, literally wanted to kiss the floor because I didn't get snatched up and had to stay in Pakistan longer than I did. So it was a great tour. Damn, sounds like <laughs> but it. But I was glad to leave. Sounds like it. Uh, all right. So you left there and you went to OPR. Yeah. And uh, OPRs, I don't know much about it. And I, I talk again in some of these videos I do, and I tell about different offices that DS has, headquarters offices, talk about PL, you know, uh, PII. Uh, but, but I don't talk about OPR. Just, I, I really know a little bit about it. I know the, the gist of it, but tell a little bit about that assignment, what you do there, yeah. and, and uh, how it went for you. Yeah, it's essentially, you know, um, DS is internal affairs, but it's the internal affairs for all the State Department and for anything that falls under chief mission authority. So whatever agency you're from, it doesn't matter. Um, OPR had authority to investigate, you know, any sort of wrongdoing malfeasance. So basically it's an internal affairs organization that's responsible for kind of investigating criminal and administrative or activity involving State Department personnel or personnel that fall under chief mission authority. Uh, it was a great, that was, I was an investigator by heart. So I came from investigations. So going back there really was, you know, pretty interesting. The cases were interesting. You're investigating everyone from DS agents to state department to, you know, CIA to FBI, whomever screwed up, you know, they got a case on them. Um, one of the things that you do when you go into OPR is you just, hey, read some case files, um, take a moment and, and, and look at kind of the types of things that you'll be investigating. And so your first two weeks, that's all you do is just look at case files. And you learn, you learn the bodies are there. You learn a lot of things um, that, you know, you have, to keep, you have to keep to yourself, but sometimes you can see people that you know and you look at them. I know that guy. And then you see him and you're like, oh, they did that. Mm-hmm. You know, and it wasn't, 
you know, it wasn't always terribly bad, but there were some things that were just like, wow, this person didn't get off. One, they didn't, didn't get fired, and they should have. Two, they didn't get a case on them, and they should have. But it was a department, the State Department kind of, you know, kind of hid it, you know, it's dirty secrets. Now, and that was, you know, the one thing that I, did, I didn't like. You know, I don't want to work my heart out on something and then have them kind of brush it under the rug. And that wasn't, you know, unheard of in the State Department. Did you guys get any, uh, I think CFI gets additional investigator training. Did you guys get any additional type of training? And the reason I ask, you, you don't? No. Okay. The reason I ask is, so I had, my, when I first arrived at Houston, I had a guy come down from, uh, uh, what is it? OS, uh, OPR. And, and uh, I met him down on the border of Texas uh, because of these individuals that they worked at one of the consulates in Mexico. They were on the border of, of Texas, maybe uh, Nuevo Laredo is a consulate there. Yeah, Nuevo Laredo. And uh, there was a child abuse case and, or child abuse report. And these yeah. individuals were uh, departing posts and expected to come over the border. And he made an appointment to meet with them and to interview the, the lady who made the report and her husband. She made the report on her husband. And, um, and the guy first off was, was, and, and I forget, I don't want to say his name, but I forget if he was an investigator somewhere else before, but he was completely professional and was very good at what he did. And the, the lady kept, eventually she, she didn't like that. She made, she regretted making the report and he ended up fucking lighting into her. Like, listen, I'm not here for you. I don't give a damn what you're doing. So he went from completely professional to, I thought he was still professional. I liked him handling it that way. You know, but basically I'm here for this kid and he had to investigate a child abuse case, um, which, which, you know, you come to DS, you don't think you're involved in that type of stuff, but yeah. we have a little bit of everything going on. So I thought that was pretty cool. It was, yeah, really I remember crazy. that case. I actually, I looked into that case for, and I'm trying to think it was failure, failure to report. Um, and so we were looking into the RSO and some of the other people who um, were involved in it and looking, so you, you have an obligation to report. Yeah. If you're an RSO, if you're an ambassador at DCM or, you know, depending on your category, right? And I remember someone didn't report, so we were looking at that aspect of the failure to report piece. So I can't remember, I guess you, you arrived in Houston before I did, so I had the- yeah. um, You must have been an OPR then. I mean, you probably know the guy that came down. Uh, yeah, real good dude. Uh, but yeah, you know what? Now that you say it, there was an we, my, the, those interviews were to find out exactly what happened to the kid. But I think uh, you know that was a ten thousand foot view. I think maybe from the thirty thousand foot view, I felt like he may have mentioned that you know it's bigger than this than this. It's yeah. also the the failure to report aspect. Yeah. Um, any other good cases at OPR that you can, you may not be able to talk about them, but if you can. Trying to think, um, and we got involved in a lot of stuff. We got involved in death investigations. Um, um, I wasn't there for trying to think. Actually, yeah, I was there for. So we had our former director of OPR who went down to Barbados and committed suicide on the beach. So we were responsible for investigating his death to make certain there wasn't any kind of any foul play involved, 
Um, so OPR launched a team down there to investigate that. So we had, we were divided into two different sections when I was there, um, general investigations and we had special kind of investigations, special crimes. Um, special crimes was led by um, Scott Banker, who was in my BSAC, actually it was BSAC 79. Um, but we started a new academy together. And then I did general investigations. Um, I'm trying to think. I know I investigated the failure to report that you're referring to. Um, and I actually, we didn't recommend that for prosecution. Um, I'm trying to think what else that was interesting. We had some domestic violence stuff that we investigated. Um, usually departmental stuff that, you know, handed down from us from PSS when someone does something in their clearance and or didn't report something in their clearance, you know, and it was referred to OPR and we had to do the investigation. At Kitty had a had a um, investigation on a guy who if this guy worked 10 hours a day, he searched porn on his government government computer for nine hours a day. Wow. And it was he worked off of a Mac, which they didn't have the controls over. They had all the controls over the PCs, not on the Macs. And so, so we did things like that. And so I investigated that um, and some domestic violence stuff. So that was generally kind of my, my portfolio. Right off. And then you uh, came down to hang out in Houston. Yeah. Probably the coolest office crew you've, you've had in DS. Uh, yeah. So yeah, so so I don't know. Uh, so this, you remember Operation Rex Safari, the one that uh, yeah, the, the case that I had. That's that's in yeah. my book. And there's uh, uh, you were, you, I mean, first you and I hit it off, and then you were also a senior. You were senior uh, in grade. You were three at the time, and uh, so you led one of the teams, right? Which guy yeah. did you arrest? Where, where did you go for that one? <laughs> We went, so we went to, I remember we went to the house, the initial house. It was like at six in the morning. We had the one house. And I believe, I think if I'm correct, we had like six people that we wanted to, we wanted to pick up. Yeah, we wanted five. Uh, yeah, five or six, yeah. And I remember saying, I wanted, the, I wanted the final guy by one o'clock. I wanted to be done with this. So what I remember most is, we went to this apartment complex in Pearland. We were looking for our final guy. And <laughs> we're all, we find the apartment, we see the car. Um, we find the apartment and we try to get the key from the office. And they didn't want to give us the key. And <laughs> we're like, okay. <laughs> you know, so we're happy to knock your door down. And I remember the lady said, okay, fine. And and that, let me let me jump in there. That was in the afternoon, right? Yeah, in the afternoon. Yeah, because that was uh, so. That's that part's in the book where we went. and We got I think four of the five suspects yeah. rounded up because we did a hit. It was probably you know six in the morning, four miles. Yeah. And uh, that one guy, uh, I forget what I call him in the book. That I use a different name, but uh, I write about going getting a call like, "Hey, we found him." And I got there and I knew you were there. And again, you're a senior guy, you had MSD and, and you were, so you were the, the, I, I was in the team, although I was a case, how do you say the case manager, but you were, <laughs> when I got there, say, hey, John, you're the team leader on this, on this entry, basically. And we did, we busted down the door. And uh, I remember, I remember 
several people. We had, that was the A team though. We we took yeah. all the best agents there. Spot on. We came on hard too. <laughs> we went yeah. to it hard. Yeah, that was a man hunt, man. That was. I remember in Houston. I think that's one of my outside of what my my normal job role was. That was probably one of the more memorable experiences. I we did several warrants, but that one was fun because we yeah. just we were, we were on a man hunt. But we, you know how many arrests, how many arrests did we get out of that one? Out of that one apartment, the last one? Out of the last one? Well, I walked off with the main guy. I think uh-huh. You guys picked up two or three more, right? Yeah, we got two more. Yeah, okay. I forgot. Because we gave him uh, HSI. To, uh, yep. yep. Go ahead. Tom Zod. Yeah. Call Tom. <laughs> we got two. Tom, interviewed him over the phone. If you escort, you have transport, we'll take him. I we got him. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about and that. And I, I kind of felt bad for the one lady that was in there because she had been in the country for a long time and then had um, gone to school. But she was harboring this guy, so she got kind of roped up in kind of harboring the guy we were looking for. Yeah. We went in swinging on that one. Uh, and we weren't – like, you were the senior guy there because it was – like our, the soup, the soup, the unit soup wasn't there. We couldn't make it because we had to get there quick. I mean, we went with yeah. lights and siren to get there. Uh, yeah. Like it was like I, I joke about it, like it was the case of the century, you know. But uh, but we got there. And, you know, we made the arrest. That case could have gone on. Uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office made us shut it down, uh, not because they didn't want to prosecute people, but because it was such a huge web yeah. of resources, you know, to uh, handle it. But it was certainly fun. That was my my primary one there, and I remember, you know, you were you were part of that that team that did it. Now you said in Houston you also got to do some protection. You went out to Benghazi. I want to hear about this. Yeah, um, I, you know, after MSP, I thought I was like, man, I'm done with these Middle Eastern type countries. Um, I was like, if I never heard the call to prayer again, it would have been too soon. Um, and I went to Benghazi and it was, you know, I jumped up, volunteered and to be on Ambassador Stevens. And we ended up, I was replacing a couple guys that were there from, you know, different field offices around the U.S. And I remember going in and we're just sitting on, on Crete. We're just sitting in Crete for a few days before we were actually inserted into, into Benghazi because we didn't go into normal channels, obviously. There's no airports. Um, but we didn't go in commercial. There were some commercial airlines going in. So we went in in the middle of the night um, on, a, on a private bird and we were picked up by folks in like, I swear it was like probably 11, 12 o'clock at night and went to our first compound where we stayed with you know some of the agency folks for a bit and until they kicked us out because they said we were and we had too many movements for them. But the ambassador had too many. The special envoy at the time had too many movements for them. And we ended up at the mansion. And I know we were, while we were at the mansion, we were looking at another compound that we had. OBO had come in. The overseas building office had come in and they were, we spent like a million dollars on this new compound. We were retrofitting it. We were fortifying it. We were building the walls. It was defensive. We could defend this 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 compound um this mansion that they were in man, that was never intended i i was surprised they were still there mm-hmm. but that was supposed to be like a two to three month short-term 
solution until we got, you know, a longer term solution to support that mission. Um, but I, you know, being moving into that house, I mean, I'm, I remember like, I felt like I'm the Prince of Bel-Air and I'm living in a mansion now <laughs> and I have the ambassador staying right down the hall from me and me and a couple other guys, me and EIC, Steve Rice was had one room and everyone else had another room. And, um, you know, we did a lot of movements throughout the city. Um, we had a lot of guys that were locked in. Um, we had a, a great plan on, you know, how we were going to respond if, if, you know, we were attacked, how we were going to egress and get out of that building. Um, because it just, it wasn't safe, right? And, you know, had penetrating holes in the walls. Um, and, you know, one of the things we never thought about, honestly, I don't think anybody ever thought about was the diesel fuel, you know, securing the diesel fuel. So a year later, I'm sitting in Houston, obviously, still, and I, I'm watching CNN. And I'm like, what the hell? And I call Steve Rice. I said, are you watching this shit? And, you know, we hear the, you know, the ambassadors have passed away and, um, you know, from smoke inhalation. And you see the folks, you know, dragging his lifeless body out of that, out of that, you know, that, that um, house. And, you know, it was, a, it was a tragic, tragic moment that I, personally, I started Monday morning quarterback and thinking, God, I would have never allowed it to happen. I always knew where he was, you know. And for me, having positive control of your body, of your protectee is the first thing that you, as an agent, should understand is where he is all the time. And so, you know, the, the thought that he could die that way just kind of disturbed me. But there's a lot of other stuff that came out. And you saw the movie, you know, was it 13 hours on? Um, I went through a lot of emotions. I wouldn't even watch it one. Then finally I was on an airplane and I said, fine, I'll watch it. And I hit the back of the seat of the guy in front of me. And I said, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I, but I went through emotion. I was, I teared up. I was angry. I was sad. But then I was really happy at the end of that, you know. But it also, it made DS or HS oblique. Um, and that I didn't like because I, you know, as much as I think our agents, some can be inexperienced. Um, it's not a DS is not a weak agency. It's a strong agency with a lot of, you know, solid characters that join. You know, that's a testament to kind of how they recruit. We've got a hodgepodge of just, you know, guys from different backgrounds. Um, I thought the agents that they sent there were junior and shouldn't have been there, um, but they weren't weak. Um, MSB, oddly enough, was in country the day before and had just left, and they should have stayed. Oh, wow. They should have been one, one to, you know, and I'm not even quarterback, but I say, man, if MSB was there, if those guys were there, they would have laid down some hate. There's no way in hell they would have come across any bad guys without putting those guys down, putting them in the rest. Um, but I think that's the, that's the part, that's the weird part about DS is that one day you're you're a cop, you're a law enforcement capacity. The next day you're in a military war zone, and you have to be able to dial it up and dial it down from one day to the next. Some people can do that well. Some people can't. And when I was in New York, when the 
Iraqi war started. That's why they wouldn't let anyone without military experience or some sort of high threat experience go, go there. Because like, you're a cop here, you're in New York, you're running the streets and you're, you know, plain clothes, and now you're in a war zone. And you really need to be prepared for that because it's just a different environment. <clears throat> and most, unfortunately, a lot of agents just aren't prepared for that. And it's not their fault. You know? They should be better trained. Yeah, that shift from uh, everything from doing investigations to doing protection then to doing security management, you can do all three within a, a three-month time period or less. Yeah. Uh, it, I think it takes a special kind of people. And you got to want to do it. I enjoyed it. I, I liked yeah. changing it up. And, yeah, so, you know, and I would agree with you. I think I think we DS does hire good people. I mean, some slip through the cracks. You know, yeah. we, we get that. Uh, and and my Monday morning quarterback is is that whoever the whoever assigned those young and experienced agents there, my you know that that was an issue, right? You should be having the requirements that you just talked about, where you yeah. have some experience in a combat zone, you have some military experience, because yeah. that was just too high risk of a mission to be out there. Yeah. Um, and and I, from what I heard, the, the people that were there, uh, I don't know any of them directly, but I have some buddies that know them. You know, DS is small. Apparently, they're good dudes, uh, and 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 we're capable. Just uh, again, inexperienced, uh, uh, you know, at, at being in a high threat area, uh, yeah. you know, during the time. Could you? Could you? I don't. I don't want to stay on this too much, but uh, but I do because <laughs> it's just it's a it's some inside scoop that a lot of people don't have because they watch the movie, and most yeah. of them haven't read the report. But you, you mentioned about uh, you know OBO came in; they were looking to to build a new a consulate there, one that actually met the standards that, you know, would set back and everything that we're supposed to have. Yeah. Um, and you were surprised that it didn't. And that's, that seems to be common because the same thing happened in our bill, right? When I was there, it was supposed to be done and two years later, three years later, and it wasn't. Yeah. Um, what, what was the setup there? I, besides being a mansion, like what were the gates like? What kind of guard, did you have guard, local guard force, you know, your GF walls, did you have, uh, you know, any mitigating features on the walls? Uh, yeah. Explain that a little bit. Yeah. There was a gate. Um, there was the walls were probably 10, 12 foot walls. Um, but they were there were decorative like designs and holes in the wall. So where you can kind of there are breaches in the walls. Well, it's not the typical setup that we would have preferred to have a solid wall that you know with anti-climb features on it so that people can't climb the wall. Um, we did have um, volunteer um, I believe November 19 guards that I believe one of our guards was a doctor um, who kind of picked up arms and decided he wanted to fight against Gaddafi and then um, then the other one was another profession Um, they stayed there on compound and they worked 24-7 they slept they worked Um, but we didn't have many we kept one part of the compound secure um, one gate secure and then we went out of one one gate and then in routinely or you know we just kind of all right we're gonna flip it up we're gonna go through this gate here just to kind of you know, yeah you know be unpredictable um I, I can tell you that one of the things that ticked me off when I was there is you know our cousins showed up one day and I said you guys didn't announce why you're here and they said well, we're being followed. I said, so? So I, I'm like, why the fuck would you come here? Well, we didn't want to give up our compounds. I said, so you give up our compound. 
And, you know, and being who I am, I, you know, listen, you got safe passage today, but don't you ever fucking do that again because that's not cool. Don't give up our location. If you pick up surveillance, go someplace else. That's, that's an issue that you don't want to, you don't want to pass that problem to a, a location that's, we're not as reinforced as your compound. We didn't have the manpower. We had five guys um, when I was there. And that's not a huge amount of manpower. You know, we had plenty of weapons. We just, plenty of armored vehicles. We just didn't have the manpower to fight off, you know, what those guys had to fight off in when this incident happened in September, 2012, September 12th, 2012. And that was the other thing. I would have never allowed him to go to Benghazi from Tripoli on the anniversary of 9-11. I would have said no, absolutely yeah. not. That, uh, that's some pretty, so you say our cousins, you know, I'll just say they're our uh, U.S. intelligence apparatus and that's some pretty, pretty shit trade craft. And, you know, they're not, it seems like the guys that took them were likely GRS guys. They brought them there and they should be thinking more security instead of, Hey, I don't want to give up our position that we are yeah. folks from the intelligence side. Instead, yeah. you brought, brought, you know, the threat to your compound. Yeah. Yeah. And these are the things, you know, I, I was never, I was never interviewed about Benghazi. Um, no one ever spoke to me, ever. No one ever asked my opinion, hey, you were there. I was on the, on the special envoy. Um, and I thought that was pretty shitty as well. You look at you know, an investigation, if you're gonna do an investigation, it doesn't start with the incident. It starts with what led up to the incident, so you trace it back, right? And no one ever spoke to me. And I was one of the guys in charge for Shift lead half the time, yes, yes, you have. Yeah, for those who don't know, shift lead is basically your tactical commander. Yeah, I see is responsible for the principal. You are you're in the weeds, you have the team that you you lead tactically. Um yeah, that's an interesting take, man. I never never heard of it from uh I never heard you talk about that. I mean, we we met up several times since I left you left in Houston left Houston, but I hadn't heard you I had to talk about that. Um all right. Well, that's a story in itself, man. Oh, yeah, I can go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet. I can go on. I'm careful about what I say, but I can go on. Yeah. No, I hear you. Well, maybe uh, we'll see what the reaction is, and maybe we'll have we'll have a we'll talk just on that because there's a lot and there's a lot to it. Yeah. Um, but you, uh, so you left there and you went to Peru. Were you just a regular uh, ARSO in Peru, or were you the I? Yeah, yeah regular ARSO in Peru. Yeah, how was Peru? It's not bad. I, you know, it was more of a, you know, it's traditional arts of work. It's it's great living. The work isn't um, sexy. Um, you're a security manager. You're managing programs. Um, you're not worried about anyone shooting at you or a bomb blowing up. And so it can get pretty kind of kind of redundant and mundane. Um, so I wasn't a big fan of traditional RSO work. Um, although I did love, you know, I had this beautiful house or condo overlooking the ocean. Um, it was a great city. It was fun. 
Um, the work was the work was good. I don't I didn't find it as rewarding as some of the other ones. Yeah, so. I can see that, and, and I mentioned that a lot. I I enjoyed I enjoyed the I enjoyed it all. Uh, I didn't like the field office as much, uh, you know. But the, for me, with the regular RSO work, yeah, it was more mundane, but it was it was steady, steady busy. I had a regular life, so I had a, a social life, you know. Yeah. Rather when I did a rack or a bill, I didn't. Well, pretty much didn't. Um, and uh, you know, I like leadership, and so you can go in these positions. And you were a senior; you were a, a you know a three, but you can go in as a four and you know, at your first assignment overseas coming straight from a field office and being a leadership role where you might have 150 people yeah. and just coming out of the Marine Corps. I, I you know, I, I had some great leaders in the Marine Corps and, and uh, I just appreciated leadership. And so I really enjoyed that. And I think I had some impactful moments with the teams. And that's, that's something that if you don't like, you know, if you don't like the work, the actual security management work, there are other aspects that are yeah. in that sense, you know, I agree. Uh, and then you went to uh, IP. That's when I saw you again. And uh, tell people what IP is. Well, I mean, what international programs is kind of what they what they do. It's I don't think it's that sexy either. Although you're involved in a little bit of everything. But if you could explain, yeah, you're you're involved in everything. You're kind of you're kind of oversight for the RSOs at Post. So I covered Latin America and my portfolio within Latin America. Let me see if I can recall this. I had Brazil. I had. Um, Paraguay, Uruguay, um, Colombia, and then I had Jamaica, and so the Caribbeans were part of that, and Jamaica and the Bahamas, um, and I believe one or two other posts that I was assigned. And it's basically, you're kind of, you're that direct line of contact from the RSO to headquarters. Um, you're their contact. And you're just kind of liaising and kind of overseeing kind of you know, the daily reporting that's coming out of post. Um, anything critical, um, we're reporting up to the NSC um, in our daily calls. Um, it was, yeah, it, was, it wasn't sexy. It wasn't sexy at all. Um, I think the biggest thing that came out of that that you got to do when you travel was doing the program reviews. So you got to travel a bit and kind of go and sort of audit the RSO program and kind of how they managed the program. So, and when, in my tenure there, and before this is where I ended my career in, I, in IP, and it wasn't because of IP. Um, it was good actually being back in DC and having a steady, you know, nine to five and no pressure from, the leadership was great. You know, our regional directors were fantastic. Um, you weren't, when you go, when you think of headquarters, you think, oh, oh. I got to work, you know, 10 hours a day and they're going to make me work my leap. And, you know, it, very laid back, very easy going, um, you know, easy going folks. Uh, it was a headquarters job. It was, it was a, it was a good assignment. I would have, if I hadn't left the job, I would have gladly have done my two years there. And I think mostly because I wanted some kind of routine and normal for a bit. Yeah. And, and that seemed more routine. And I actually liked that better than I liked group. Um, it was an office job. It was nine to five. You, you sat in a cube. And um, I think it was time I was ready to slow down. I was ready to kind of kind of be oversight and, and kind of 
deal with the threats that were coming from my region of the world. Um, as opposed to like now, I'm dealing with global threats that are all over the world. And it's hard to stay focused unless you have good people who can really kind of keep you on task. I think the, the two, two things I got out of IP, I was supposed to go to IPF to San Diego, by the way, before I proposed and got married and left DS. And uh, two of the things, one, the travel aspect, you mentioned that. The other one is the, uh, is it's a good place to network. And I, I try to explain to people networking is important, not just in DS, but particularly when you get out. But in DS, it is as well, uh, just because uh, sometimes about who you know, you know, it can help yeah. you out. And, and sometimes you might know the really high ranking individual and they can't do anything for you. And then sometimes you might know someone in the middle area that is just in the right spot and they can yeah. help you get an assignment, you know, that you, that you want to go to. Because uh, if there's two things in DS that I did not like, it was bidding. It was EERs. Yep. Bidding and EERs, man. That's uh, EERs are employee evaluation reports, right? We've got to write every year. The two worst things in, about the job, absolutely, hands down, the two worst things about the job is yeah. what you just mentioned. And I thought about that earlier today. I was like, man, I am so glad I don't have to bid on an assignment. And we just went through our review period in my company. I'm like, wasn't as little. And not as meaningful because I'm like, who's reading this? Oh, just HR. With the panel reviews in DS, um, you just never knew what you were going to get. You could have been gold and just performed exceptional. But as one RSO, one person told me, he's like, yeah, I could, I could write you a great ER, but I could put in keywords to make you sound like garbage. And there were people in DS that that would do that without fail, um, which is why you needed an ally and someone to, to be able to read those reviews, find those keywords and rewrite it. Um, there was an agent um, who, whose father did that for her. And I'm like, hell, can he do mine? Because you know he was a senior foreign service official and he knew how to write the ERs and he knew what was garbage and he knew how to get you promoted. And she catapulted through the ranks. And I'm like, hey, good for her. Um, so uh, what can an agent or someone who spends time as an agent? I did nine years. How many years did you do in? Twelve. Twelve. What, uh, so what are you doing now? What, can, what kind of jobs are out there if someone uh, decides to get out? You know, I think we are the most um, respected law enforcement agency in the private sector, we're not well known, but once people know what we do, um, we're better respected um, than some of the other agencies. We have the most, we come out with the most experience in, in managing security and, and being able to do investigations and just managing programs all together. So, you know, I head up now the, I'm, oddly enough, this is weird. So I started out, I'm a security guy, investigator, I started out as the global head of corporate security for my current company. And I built up such a reputation um, within the company that I was asked to take over the real estate and property management portfolio to go along with my corporate security program. And, and the only thing I'm thinking then, I'm thinking, well, I get attention and I get their budget. So I'm, I'm all about it. So I jumped on it, right? And I thought the synergies made sense. 
you know, what do security prof professionals protect? We protect the facilities. And you know, largely within many companies, the facilities program really kind of holds the budget for security technology. Um, all of your access control, your CCTV stuff, it's in their budget. So I figured, hey, here's an opportunity for me to control the budget, control the narrative, and kind of administer security and in the way that I thought was suitable and good for the organization. So that's what I do now. Um, DS, you know, once you walk away from the job, I think it's it's a highly desirable um, background. It's global, not like the FBI or Secret Service. They're they're, they're not global. DS, we are truly global, and 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 with companies these days that are global, the importance of place, um, the importance of hey, we're, we're they're all over the place, so they need someone who understands the threat environment that you know in the different locales that they that they have operations, and what better kind of agency or prior agent to have than a DS agent, so. Yeah, so what's your title at this at this place? So I'm the director of global corporate security and real estate for North America. Man, big time job. Denzel. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. That's awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm essentially the, the, I'm the chief security officer, although we don't use that title. We do have a CISO role that was previously the CSO and I, I was always the one arguing. I was like, that doesn't make sense. You're, you're a cyber guy and you're the CISO. Um, so the organization finally listened to me. So they recruited a CISO and not a, uh, I said, I'm your chief security officer. I'm the guy who's responsible for keeping you safe, um, mitigating risk across the globe, across all of our different business units. Um, I recently took over business continuity and I hired a DS guy. Um, to run my business continuity program. And he was actually in the academy with me. And I couldn't find, for this role, a better person for that role. He came in uh, right as COVID took on, and he was, he's been eating COVID ever since. Hmm. Ever since COVID, and he hasn't really been able to do anything else, but he's written a lot of policy for us. He's put us in, he's earned a lot of respect just early on from, from the leadership, he's having meetings with our executives. And I'm like, dude, this is the show. I think one thing that a lot of security executives are waiting or trying to get is a seat at the table. And COVID, this pandemic gave us a seat at the table. And we're leading it. Security apparatus across all different organizations are leading the charge for COVID. So this is a good opportunity to, to get in the private sector to get, you know, for those who are looking to walk away from DS, um, it's not for everyone. DS isn't for everyone. The private sector isn't for everyone. Um, this is an opportunity to get out there and kind of show people that, you know, what all, all of the things that you've learned over the years and what you're capable of doing. So. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. I, uh, I would add to that. I, so our, the company I work for now, uh, I'm in the security uh, office as well. And they, uh, first off, they had a CISO that was taken over. And so we, we changed that. Um, and now a DS agent, former DS agent is the head guy. Um, and also the, the 
in DS as a, as a regular ARSO or RSO and in the corporate world, I find that facilities and security are always linked. Somehow there's some overlap and it's important to build those relationships with those folks. And I work with them every day, you know, on different, different elements. And Absolutely. You know, if you have good people in those roles and you build those relationships, I mean, that personal capital with people is vital, but uh, that's good to know for uh, our, Good for maybe some DS agents that are listening now. They might want to, you know, get out to uh, kind of know what's out there, man. I mean, there are guys retiring every day, um, guys that are, you know, punching their ticket for whatever the reason reasons are. Um, I, I, had, I had a reason. I was like, I had a six-year-old in Houston, and I was being sent to Ethiopia. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to see this kid. So I made a decision. I walked away. And now I look back in hindsight. Damn, I'd have three years left to retire. <laughs> so it's, but you know, it's I landed on my feet, and you know, so I was one of the lucky ones. And I think there are a lot more jobs out there for DS guys to be the lucky ones. I think it's a noble thing to uh, step away for family reasons. Uh, not to, I mean, that's just. I think it's the right thing to do, even if you're three years away. You know, I, I always say, you know, I got I had like six years to get 20 because uh, with my military time. And I said, yeah. you know what, it, it's, at some point, I'm just going to go and be a, a curator at the USS Midway or the Reagan <laughs> National Library and <laughs> get my that's six right. years. That's my six years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, anyway, well, hey, man, uh, thanks for taking the time. It's, it's a little over an hour. And uh, I know we had, uh, some issues, but it's great catching up with you. Uh, you know, finally, because it would take us three weeks to schedule this. Yeah, you know, it happens. Man. We're we're busy. Technology um, escapes me as much as it escapes you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not that handy. Luckily, I have Richard Bell, the DS guy, who's a he's very capable technology wise, which is why one of the reasons I hired him. Yeah, uh, that's awesome, man. Well, good catching up. Don't hang up yet. I'm gonna uh, sign out here. Uh, and we'll, we'll chat after them. Uh, you know, thanks for talking to me. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of Off the X Podcast. I uh, obviously have some work to do. I get it. First time doing this. I am not a tech-savvy dude. Uh, but, you know, uh, the intent, the goodwill was there. And the uh, hopefully there was some interest in... Uh, in what you heard. So a couple things I, I, I want to talk about. Uh, number one, I'm going to be having a, uh, an array of folks again from the overseas security industry. I'm always looking for guests. I have a lineup right now. Don't know how often I'll be able to do this. Hopefully every one to two weeks or so. But if you know of someone that would be interesting that fits in this uh, overseas industry experience and capacity, hey, hit me up. All right. I'm pretty easy to find. I'll talk about that here in a little bit of where you can find me. But if it's yourself, if you're like, hey, man, I have a good story and, and you know, maybe I'm freaking opened up a company and, and you want to talk about your story and your time overseas and talk about your company, hey, I'm down with that, man. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to help out wherever I can, uh, you know, and, and we'll go from there. So uh, if you are interested, you can hit me up at info at CodyPeron.com, C-O-D-Y-P-E-R-R-O-N.com. If I don't respond, it's not because I'm disinterested. It's probably because I'm overwhelmed with different life things. Um, so if I don't respond to that email, uh, you know, hit me up on, on my agents unknown underscore book, Instagram. 
I'll get you there or hit me up on Facebook or anything like that. Just look up my name. It's pretty easy to find. And I will get to you in some way. I'm not purposely ignoring anyone. So go ahead and do that. If you're also just interested in asking questions about DS, I do have YouTube videos out there. They answer most questions, I think, because now questions are coming in that are a little uh, they're redundant. So, you know, uh, we asked a lot. But send me questions. If it's a good question, I'll want to respond to you. And then I'll probably make a video about it. Um, and so that's uh, you can get a good, a good bit of intel on DS uh, in those videos. Just look up my name again. Uh, most of the episodes, uh, the, the YouTube episodes are called uh, Life as a DS as Special Agent or Diplomatic Security Special Agent. Uh, something like that. But uh, it's easy to find. Uh, my book, if you haven't read the book, uh, it's doing well. Uh, 90% five-star review. 92, 93 reviews, 90% five-stars. Easy read. Some people read it in a few hours. Some say cover to cover. It's not a short book, but it's not a long book either. Um, you know, but uh, there's actually some reviews that say it helped them too. A couple of them that say it actually helped them get past the becks just because I talk about kind of my thought process as I go through, you know, some of the decisions and some of the scenarios that I, that I was, actual scenarios that I was placed in. So, you know, it's something to, uh, something to consider. It can be found on my website, CodyPeron.com. That'll just take you to Amazon. If you want to go straight to Amazon, type it in, Agents Unknown, uh, then you'll find it. But it's on Amazon, and you can get it uh, in paperback, you can get it in Kindle, and you can also get it in Audible, where you can hear my songbird voice, just like you do now. Um, so, you know, I think, uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Go give it a shot and write a review. Let me know what you think. Um, I want to talk about the music. I'm going to change up some music, but if you like the music or don't like the music in this podcast, uh, you know, I'm considering changing it, but it's kind of bluesy. I'm from the South. I'm Cajun from Louisiana. So, uh, you know, I'm going to kind of do my thing with the music. I thought this was a good a good one. So, anyway. All right, y'all. Appreciate all the support, as always. I have a ton of gratitude. Uh, you know, I don't have a lot of followers, but those that you do follow, those of you that do follow are uh, really... Uh, really good to me and give me a lot of support and uh, you know I'm thankful for that alright y'all out